Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie's all about reality, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really is. What's real and how do we test it? Yes. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street. As Julie said, of course we're watching the original, the, ni- the one made in 1947. I until you asked that question, I wasn't aware there was another version. Because <laughs> why would you remake Casablanca? No. So, you know, this is kind of the same thing. I'm sure somebody has proposed remaking Casablanca. Oh, yes. Madonna thought it would be a no great way. idea. No way. Oh, I was, yeah, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. She said, oh, yeah, it would be way better with me in it. And all the uh, studios were like, we are not touching this with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> Forget it. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely Which not. They should have said about that. This oh, one. wow. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just so charming. It is. And so yeah. modern at the same time. Mm. I, I was hit by that, too. Um, you know, I didn't know that that was Natalie Wood until this time through. Oh, yes, yeah, she was My so goodness. good in this. Oh, she was terrific. Yeah. They do say she thought that Edmund Gwynn, who plays Santa Claus, was really Santa Claus until the movie was over and he stuck around. Really? Yeah, because huh. she was little. Yeah, wow. How fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. in a movie with Santa Claus. That's cool. Oh, well, yeah. She yeah. was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this movie is, of course, a classic. Most people have seen it, but lately I've run into a few people who haven't. So, a uh, really quick synopsis. There's um, the Macy's Day Parade, and the woman who runs the parade, who played by Maureen O'Hara, her name is Doris, is uh, organizing it, and the Santa Claus she has for the parade is drunk, and the man who tells her that the Santa Claus is drunk looks just like a perfect Santa Claus himself. So he <laughs> is going to take over. Mm-hmm. And um, they then hire him to be in the Macy's, and as their Santa Claus, and what they discover is he says he is Santa Claus. And this becomes important to Doris because her little girl Susan has been taught only the truth, nothing about fairy tales, nothing about anything of a fantasy nature, and that includes Santa Claus, so she knows that your mother and father give you all your presents. Hmm. And Santa Claus, uh, Chris Kringle is the guy's (laughs) name, most charmingly played by Edmund Gwynn. He is uh, worried about the commercialism of Christmas. And this is in 1947. Mm. And so he is going to use those two as a test case. If he can change their minds, then he'll know Christmas still has a chance. And um, along the way, there's a romance for Doris, possibly by a guy who also believes in things like, um, maybe not specifically Santa, but all the things that adults will say that Santa stands for. Mm. And including fairy tales and imagination and fun. And so he's kind of working on Doris at the same time that uh, Chris Kringle is working on Susan. Yeah. And and the whole thing actually is fan- fascinating because this whole conversation about commercialism and what are the deeper values that do or don't go along with Christmas and giving and all that is taking place from within 
mostly the Macy's department store in New York City. Mm. And it was filmed there. I mean, they had to work around all the people. They had to have extra power, all that kind of stuff. So Macy's allowed them to do it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. Yeah. So, um, so what was interesting is that there's this conversation about commercialism from the heart of commercialism, and yet it doesn't seem like it's tainted with commercialism somehow. Mm-hmm. Nothing, no one's trying to sell anything. There's no product placement. It's about the people in the store. Yeah, that's an interesting observation for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I didn't know that Macy. Well, I, I would have had to assume that Macy's would have okayed it somehow, because oh, yeah. they would have been pretty uncomfortable had it had it not been uh, a positive thing. You know, to have you know that that would have been a controversy. I, I imagine I would have heard of or something because it's such a famous movie. But um, right, but I didn't know it was filmed right in Macy's. Yeah. Yeah. And then that famous parade, you know, that's still going on to this day, the the Thanksgiving parade that ends with, you know, Santa. You know, it's like the introduction of Santa for the year, right? Exactly. And here's some more, a little bit of trivia about it. The scenes of the parade are from the real 1946 parade. Mm. So what they did was they had to put cameras all along the parade route to catch the real parade on the third floor of the apartment that the uh, mother and daughter live in so they could catch the parade from there. And then they had to get all the shots they needed with the actors right when the parade was going on, because this was their one chance to do it. Wow. And so Macy's allowed that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. But yeah. Yeah. And then this whole idea in the, in the story, I I don't imagine we're concerned about spoilers here. Well, now we're done. So any spoilers um, will, Chris Kringle convince everyone. <laughs> yes, in a courtroom Will Fred drama. No get less. the girls. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we get the courtroom drama. I love it. Oh my gosh, yes, because then it winds up, and I did forget to say, and it gets to the point of Chris Kringle being on trial for is he crazy or is he Santa? Hmm. It's just uh, really well done. And even in that, you get the commercialism mm-hmm. and political implications because the judge is being run by a political um, guy who's who's kind of giving him clues on, you better lean this way, you better lean that way. Do you want to alienate these people or these labor unions? Or how about the voters? So everything about Santa Claus here is being used for some other reason except by the children and by the people who are the very most involved mm-hmm. in the story. Yeah, And that's very much like today. As I watched a sporting goods store ad last night that had Santa on a skateboard. Well, he was wearing <laughs> red leggings and a beard and everything, mm-hmm. you know, going around and all these versions of Santa that were selling us stuff in the, in the grossest way possible to show Santa. Sure. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it is interesting to see these things, you know, in 1947. Um, really cool. And that's why I picked it, because I watched it last year for the first time in a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I was so struck by Natalie Wood, the little girl Susan's cynicism, carefully um, tended and, and nourished by her mother, hmm. because her mother had been hurt yeah, by a divorce, and right. all her idealism had been kicked out of her, and she wasn't going to let that happen to her little girl. And I thought, well... This has such a parallel in the world today. Mm. 
Yeah, you know, and I, I've, I've met folks like that that are like, you know, ah, we don't want any fantasy. We don't want to tell our kids any of that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, also, you know, people that would like, I don't ever want my kid to read anything that's, you know, fantastical. Um, oh, yeah. And that's kind of like a modernist stance, you know, very, I don't know, I can't say that it's widespread, but I, I have seen that point of view. I think about 10 or 15 years ago, or 20 years ago maybe, it was a lot more widespread. Mm-hmm. Now what you have is a shift in attitude of everybody protecting their kids so much mm-hmm. that you don't know if they feel like, um, you know, Santa's fine. Mm-hmm. But they're busy keep wrapping their kid in bubble wrap so that when they hit the real world, they don't feel safe. And they don't, you know, I need a trigger warning for this in a book and all these things. And there are the few occasions that we would encounter before that, you know, in Mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. But you didn't have a whole generation worried about, you know, getting hurt and upset and everything. Because you just, you learned to do it as you grew up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you get hurt and upset at work as an adult, so... <laughs> you and need to be ready to, ready to handle that stuff. Yeah, yeah. and even be, at yeah. home in your family, even a well-intentioned family, you're not mm-hmm. going to get through it without getting stepped on sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting point of view, and and one that wasn't unfamiliar, I guess, to me. You know that I've mm-hmm. seen elsewhere, and you know that the mother was like, "Yeah, we don't want to teach her that," and yet. Um, Natalie Wood's character, Susan, right? She, mm-hmm. um, it came through anyway. It was like, this is just, even though she was being taught to suppress that urge and, and the imagination really is what you're suppressing. Mm-hmm. Um, it still kind of was just bubbling out of her. And, uh, once she started to think about Santa and things, um, you know, her imagination really went, went wild. Well, yeah, she was ready to believe. Mm-hmm. You know, when she, all she had to see was a little proof in the other direction, like watching Chris Kringle with the little Dutch girl on his lap. And she's like, he was speaking Dutch. They were singing a song together. It was, you know, and mm-hmm. her mother's going, now a lot of people speak Dutch and this and this. And she goes, uh-huh. But it was so real. And her mother's <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, how many times do I have to cover this with you? <laughs> yeah. And, um Mm-hmm. When Chris is giving her, Chris Kringle is giving her lessons in pretending to be a monkey, you know, <laughs> and she, she tells the story of, I mean, this is, this is way further. I think the most would take it when she says she couldn't play with the kids in the apartment building because they were playing zoo. Mm. And they said, what animal are you? Said the zookeeper. I'm not an animal. I'm a girl. Well, then out you go. <laughs> she said, well, it's stupid to pretend to be an animal. And he said, oh, no, it's fun. Yeah. And she immediately kind of latches onto that and is interested in trying it because she trusts him. And one of the things that I think we see that by it's, it's interesting to me cutting off the imagination and just having this real black and white way of measuring everything against scientific facts and what the real world says and all this, it, it leads to this loss of trust and to allow yourself to get really close to people because in this movie, because you're always measuring it against my standard of truth. 
Can I believe what this person says? Can I, you know, all these things? Sure. Yeah. Well, the imagination is good for so many things. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you know, even if, if you grow up to be a scientist, you know, you need that imagination. I mean, Einstein used to talk about that. You know, um, if you're going to contemplate the universe and uh, make discoveries, um, you need your imagination with you. You know, it's like that's kind of what's spurring you to, you know, where to look next and what could possibly be and um, and things like that. You know, so, you know, nurturing of the imagination is great. You know, and we always hear, um, I don't know, the Catholic imagination is a phrase mm-hmm. that I've heard a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's just super important and we should nurture it and, um, uh, we should promote it. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, th- these are things that God has given us as well. You know, uh, the, the scientific way of thinking and the imaginative way of thinking, um, he gave us both of those things. Well, yeah. How do you, if you have trouble trusting people and connecting with people because you can't make those little intuitive, imaginative leaps, um, how are you going to understand when God gives you a little nudge? Sure. You know, and then the other piece of it too is uh, um, relating with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so Susan was was learning that as well at, during the movie, I think. But I think that, you know, that's another thing that reading and stories helps us with is um, relating with people. Well, and Doris was also having to learn it. Yep. Agreed. Because by the yeah. end, we're not shown any concrete proof for why she suddenly is like adding, I believe in you too, to Susan's letter to Chris when he's in jail. But she starts off right before that when she's saying, Oh no, I'm not going to be any part of this because I'm very fond of Chris and I don't want to hurt him in any way. And of course that's part of it too, is our natural affection and ability to trust someone will allow us to gently change our attitude as we see new vistas open up so to speak Mm, yeah you know just kind of around the edges things soften up a little so you can expand your horizons maybe is a better way to put it yeah yeah very nice but yeah we need all that stuff and you know that's Mm -hmm. what the imagination helps us with you know um all this stuff you know and again you know i I say this all the time but you know in the beginning was the word you know the whole story (laughs) thing Right. We're built for this, you know, and, yeah. and to suppress that and to just say, no, we, we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, it's just not something that I can get on board with. And I think this, this movie is a great example of why not, you know. Yeah. I love how it illustrates, yeah, that's not a good thing, and uh, this is why not. Well, mm-hmm. that's the thing. This movie is over 55 years old, and I was, again... The lessons in it, as you're saying, are so timely. And I think about how hard-hitting it must have been in 47, you said, when mm-hmm. it came out. Yeah, 1947. Um, to see this single working mother having had a bitter divorce, it sounds like, and trying to teach her kid how do you navigate life. Mm. Yeah, not an easy thing back then. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And not now, but certainly much easier now than back then. And the attitudes would have been all against her. Yeah. You know, we don't see any of that. She's a working woman in New York City. She's got a very responsible job Mm. and handling it well. Yeah. But she's treating Susan kind of like a job Mm -mm. in that sense. I mean, she loves her and everything, but okay. So here are my, here are my goals for this, (laughs) you know? Right. And it's kind of interesting to have, 
instead it was almost a role reversal now that I think about it to have the romantic interest of the man be the one who's like, oh, what fairy tales do you like? And he's <laughs> like, well, I have some spare time. I took Susan to the zoo yesterday, or I, yeah. you know, did whatever. And of course, these days, the thing that's not modern is no one would just go, oh, there's a guy who, a single guy who moved in across the hall. Sure, take her to the zoo. Let her watch the <laughs> the parade from your apartment. And I'm like, and that's a sad commentary. Yeah. Oh, it is. On yeah. our lives today. Yeah. Sad but necessary, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. not... Mm-hmm. Not wrong, just, mm-hmm. you know, harder to trust. Right, right. Yeah, that, that is an interesting thing to think about that. Yeah, it's a role reversal, you know, I guess. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's, 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 you know, especially back then, I guess, you know. the But the, the fact to have a single mom is, was, I imagine, pretty tough at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, in my family, my mom's mom grew up in a, family that was a single mom and, mm. I, and it was a death um right but there was like um seven kids oh my gosh yeah and it, it was in queens new york seven kids oh, that would have been like in the in the 30s 40s you know was when they were growing up yeah yeah it's a lot of kids <laughs> to be dealing with <laughs> well maybe it helped maybe it helped you know because if they if some of them were old enough there was help right so they could work a little bit. or Yeah, sure. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it was still hard because you didn't have all the um, the protection of the some of the social systems we have now to help you out. Right, right. But you'd have the Catholic Church. Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah, and they were Catholic. Help. It was an Irish family for sure. Yeah, and the yeah. church will help, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. They, they've been helping for centuries and centuries. You bet. Thousands and thousands of years. Um, so was it a little bit scandalous to have a divorcee? main character in 1947 i didn't see any reactions okay. like that i didn't know if in it was any something old that reviews, was surprising but i just think yo, no no it was maureen o'hara so come on <laughs> we all love her that's right um yeah. and she always plays uh, strong women mm-hmm. um so i think partly the casting would have softened it up <clears> but just partly this is part of modern life now. Mm. For one thing, it, even the bitter divorce, uh, which it sounds like, um, that would have been the thing that would have been scandalous. You're right. But think how many single mothers there were because that was right after World War II. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's a good point. That's why that little Dutch girl was from the orphanage and had been brought over. Yeah, that makes it an interesting story choice that it's a divorce is why she was alone. But yeah. I think maybe what you touched on earlier was the reason for that is it gave her a reason to be non-imaginative or to squash anything that's unknown. She really wanted sort of a control thing. Where, well, yeah, at one point yeah, she's talking No to, more lies, right, kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. She's talking to the guy and going, and then you're sold this fantasy, and then and then all your <laughs> ideals are taken away from you. And he goes, we were talking about Susan. Oh, yeah, well, that's right. And so my point was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice little bit of that talk they're having. Yeah. It kind of just fills in a lot of background. You don't have to know all the dirty details, which these days I think, I don't know what the remake was like, but these days you feel like you would have gotten a little bit more detail. And she's, she's clearly traumatized and and a victim, but she's not a victim. Mm -hmm. She's successfully making her way in the world, but this is just how she's trying to protect her daughter from what happened to her. And so it's not a bad thing. It's just a wrong point of view. And so the whole shifting of point of view 
is, um, you know, we see her at the beginning of the movie and she loves what safety and security and fact and knowing where you stand and the world is realistic like this. And by the end, what she loves and is willing to embrace is imagination and the fact that the world has a mysterious quality that you can't nail down mm-hmm. and love. She's yep. open to love. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to get married and have that house. Yeah. Yeah. And I also really like the part that at the end, the guy, uh, Fred, I think his name is says, well, I must be the greatest lawyer in the world. Who else could take a little old man and prove he's Santa Claus? And I'm like, oh, okay. It's the <laughs> first time you've specifically said, you know, you're a real grown up. You don't think you really was Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they look over and see the cane, which is just a lovely little touch. <laughs> and she says, I think she says, maybe the previous owner left a cane. And he says, maybe, <laughs> but maybe I'm not as great as I thought. Because <laughs> he, when he gives him mm. the directions on, this is much quicker in there. You know, Turn here, he says, you know. Yeah. So he knew. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. There is good in the world, right? Right. Yeah, that was... You know, that, that's how I, it, this movie just makes you feel good. It made me feel good. You know, it's oh, just yeah. something that just kind of reminds you that, yeah, there is good stuff, you know, in the world. Well, and Maureen O'Hara loved this movie. Hmm. And so in her autobiography, she um, said, everyone felt the magic on the set. And we all knew we were creating something special. I'm very proud to have been part of a film that has been continually shown and loved all over the world for nearly 60 years. Miracle on 34th street has endured all this time because of the special relationship of the cast and crew, the uplifting story and its message of hope and love, which steals hearts all over the world every year. Hmm. I don't think I will ever tire of children asking me, are you the lady who knows Santa Claus? I always answer. Yes, I am. What would you like me to tell him? <laughs> oh, I love it. And Beautiful. it does sound yeah. it does sound like um on set they had a really unusually good experience. They were saying everybody loved Edmund Gwynn. He was just the nicest man in the world. He really was like in the movie. Mm. And uh she said that they would go out in the evenings uh window shopping, mm-hmm. the whole crew mm-hmm. and cast. Up and down New York, uh, you know, streets with all the stuff. They'd hang out together and everything. And it just sounds like it was really a great experience from beginning to end. Yeah. That sounds great. How fun yeah. would that be? Yeah. Yeah. I did see something that said that the person who write, wrote the script was struggling through Christmas shopping crowds, trying to find a present for his wife. And when he saw all that commercialism... It made him wonder what the real Santa Claus would think. Hmm. And that's what turned into this story. Yeah. Yeah, and we haven't really touched on, we, we, we mentioned it, but I haven't really touched on the details of that piece of the story. Yeah. Um, but it, it's really interesting, you know, that with Macy's on board, that, um, you know, Santa, Santa, who's not going to care, you know, where someone gets a toy or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just <laughs> says, oh, they have it over there at Gimbel's. You yeah. know, and then um, how interesting, you know, but it, it definitely in the movie, Macy's was the king, right? 
Um, it's like you have Macy's and then you have these other stores. <laughs> no, Macy's and Gimbel's were pretty mm-hmm. equal. Were they? But I'm just talking about in this movie, the impression had, that I got. Yeah, Right, but they had this bitter rivalry in uh-huh. real life as sure. well as in the movie. You'd think, And so yeah. when Gimbel's is coming on going, all our stores are going to do it, and Macy's goes, oh, really? Us too. So they're answering a rival's call there. Mm-hmm. So those two are equal. We're thinking they're the tops because we see it all from inside their um, store and from the parade and everything. Yeah. But that's why everybody was so surprised when they said, you told me Gimbel's has it. What's going on? Hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but then there was everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> After so, those right. two, they were the giants. Yeah. So Santa had a definite um, people are more important than money attitude exactly you know and that's what was trying to rise above that commercialism and he did keep saying it's really about the children and when you saw him with that little dutch girl or you saw him with natalie wood those are the only sets of kids you really see him with specifically um except for the little boy who's leaving the court and going don't forget about the football helmet (laughs) i won't don't worry tommy you know (laughs) Every time he had this real genuine love that was shining through, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I know everybody says he's the nicest guy in the world, but that's, that really communicates how you want Santa to be, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's about the kids. Right. Yeah. And, um, I remember in the football helmet scene, I remember his dad <laughs> saying, I got to get that football helmet, yeah, you know, they yeah. get the football helmet, you know, yeah. so that's interesting too. Mm. <clears throat> you know, the, and that happened more than once in the movie, um, at least a couple times where it was like, um, well, somebody sat on Santa's lap and they were asking for a fire engine and the mother was like, say we can't have a fire engine. You know, she was trying to signal him to say he can't because I can't find one. I can't buy one, right? They're all sold out. <laughs> They're all sold out. So that's when he says, well, you can get one over at this other store. And then, um, so it's interesting that it's not Santa that's going to actually bring it. It's the parents still. Right. Right. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So she says, okay, well, I'll go get it over there then. Yeah. That's an interesting point that they're not specifically dependent on Santa Claus in this. It's not like um, a more modern, well, a different movie, like the Santa Claus is what I'm thinking of, where it's really Santa who brings all the gifts. It's the cooperation of the parents. Yeah, so Santa's Santa is like a spirit, like a the spirit of Christmas kind of a thing. The love and well, stuff. Well, we're not told. Yeah, we're not told, it's but I mean that's just there. the impression that I was getting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the parents were the ones actually going out and getting the things. So well, he did say he couldn't come to Christmas Eve dinner because that was his busy night. He she did. went, "Oh, I'm he sorry, I forgot." Yep. So who mm-hmm. knows? Who knows? Um, right. They're they're you know, and that's kind of interesting. I hadn't thought about that till now. They're leaving so much open. They're allowing you to interpret it how you want and and put it in whatever framework you want to put it in, because those details don't matter. We can think of it however we like. I mean, I can think, oh, he's filling in for the parents who can't get this stuff. Or he's inspiring people, as you're thinking, you know. It doesn't matter. The, what matters is that he is really Chris Kringle. Yeah. I mean, because he gets, he uses his check mm-hmm. from Gimbel's. Where Macy's, oh, I right, guess. Yeah. He uses his check for Macy's with a handsome bonus to buy a special new x-ray machine for the doctor who's been realized to him at the nursing yeah. home. And he lives at a nursing home. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. I thought that was a really modern touch because in 1947, I don't feel like those would have been very common. Yeah. And I could be wrong, but right. not like now where there's all kinds of senior communities. Yeah. And in the very first scene, <clears throat> he's, he's at a window watching someone put together a little reindeer display and he's like, oh, you've got it all out of order. You're making a major <laughs> error. He's like, you got to talk to him. So he's got, you know, so the implication is he's got reindeer. He's got a sleigh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. He's he's totally on it. But, in fact, when I was watching the movie this time, he's like, well, no, this is Christmas Eve, my busy night. And she went, oh, I forgot. And I thought, I guess the elves have been doing everything while he's gone. You know, never <laughs> yeah. shows Santa getting the toys ready uh, right, in right. the big modern depictions. But So it's a lovely melding of the old and the new. Mm-hmm. The traditional and the non-traditional. Um, yeah. It's but in those modern touches, you know, the old folks' home, the divorced mother, the real insistence on what's real, what's tangible, what can I measure? Which leads to, of course, they don't believe in anything. Yeah. They don't believe in anything like God, or and which doesn't mm-hmm. come up. But Santa Claus is the stand-in here for that. Mm-hmm. And my gosh, Natalie Wood, every time Santa's going, well, because of this, and she gets a slick on her face and starts shaking her head, I'm like, <laughs> man, she has nailed it. And <laughs> he's not stupid. Mm-hmm. He's heard these arguments before, and he goes, oh, so you think this. And she, up and down, my mother told me this. Mm. Oh, so you don't believe in this either. So he's not naive mm-hmm. he's just good mm-hmm. and he refuses to give up the good things that he knows and is because other people don't believe them or to try to explain them mm-hmm. oh well no because this i work through the parents and blah 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 <laughs> blah blah. he doesn't go there mm-hmm. right he's not trying to make it logical right yeah yeah and then that's that's the way it should be, you know, <laughs> again, you know, with the imagination thing too mm-hmm. and the, the fantasy piece of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Allowing yourself to go there is important in my opinion. That's oh, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm glad that that didn't happen too. Cause yeah, I mean, if you look at um, modern, you know, let's say within the last 20 years, uh, um, Santa movies that have been made, let's say like the Santa Claus with Tim mm-hmm. Allen, you know, what they're doing is they're explaining how he can pull all this off. <laughs> right. Right. Um, there's a really neat one, a little half hour animated show called prep and landing. Um, oh, I don't okay. know if you've seen that it's on Mm-mm. Disney plus, but it's, it's, it's really cool where, um, you know, these, these elves all have jobs, you know, and, and every year they're all getting ready. And, uh, every time they land on top of a house with a sleigh, it's a big major operation, you know, so it's, it's really, it's really, it's really fun and, and cool. Um, I highly recommend it, but what it's about is like, Oh, well, how, how can Santa pull all this off? And it's interesting that here in this, in this one, that's not the focus of it at all. The focus is on, um, I guess the feeling and the fantasy of it and, and not trying to explain that. Like you said, I think that that's an interesting thing to think about. It's about, because what it's about is not the technical, which would be the problem, because that's feeding into the, I've got to be able to measure it and explain it. It's about the people. I hadn't thought about that until you were just saying that, but this doesn't care about all those details. What it cares about is the people and their internal condition. 
And it makes me think of It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. You know, yeah, there's yeah. Clarence, the angel. <laughs> but what we're looking at is the internal condition of Jimmy Stewart and everybody whose lives have been touched by the fact that he has reacted the way he has in different situations. And yeah. so they're not worried about the technicalities of how do these things work, just like this isn't. You know, that, that's, that's interesting. You know, this is a little bit of a side note, but I'm re- rereading The Hobbit. And oh, I'm rereading yeah. it with um, a, a group of people, you know, that we're kind of communicating with a little, it's like a, they call it a buddy read on YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, some people, anyway, one person said that um, she was finding it really interesting that there, there's a, she called it a soft magic system, right? In, in the fantasy mm-hmm. and um, how the trend in fantasy outside of that is, what you would call a hard fantasy, meaning like Brandon Sanderson's going to explain the magic system to death, right? It's like, oh, a, right. just like in a hard science fiction novel, the science, they try to get it right. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a hard fantasy, the rules of the magic are, I guess, they tantamount, to the, tantamount to science or whatever in mm-hmm. that world, right? And, and I thought that was a really interesting thing, you know, because... Um, you know the, the the Hobbit written in I think it was it like twenty seven or something 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 yeah, like that early. and and um but but it's interesting that that's not what was deeply interesting to Tolkien and in in my opinion leaving it like that I mean th- there's this whole feeling that there's something else outside of this mm-hmm. that is deep and mythical and you know and you know uh, without a bottom it's like a bottomless thing. Which mm-hmm. is kind of like the world is, you know. Uh, it, it's more like that, um, but it's interesting that in a, in modern times, um, here we are in 2021. That that even in our fantasy, it's almost like something that you know Susan in this movie would really like. It's like here are the rules, boom, 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 and then right. uh, that's it's a very uh, scientific way to look at even a fantasy. Yeah. That is interesting because it's making me think also of the Narnia stories, Mm -hmm. which I've been kind of going through as I listen to this podcast called The Lamp Post Listener. Mm. And they're going through chapter by chapter. I'm a couple of books behind because I'm not hurrying and I just discovered them fairly recently. But none of that is logical or holds together at all. I mean, it didn't hold together even by Tolkien standards, (laughs) which is softer. But it doesn't matter because in a fairy tale, which is what both those are like in that sense, you don't have to see all these things. Mm -hmm. You're looking at the people and what happens and what's the effect on the people because that's the interesting part of any story. I mean, it has to hold together some. Sure, sure. But, you know, you don't have to explain every nut and bolt of the whole thing. And I'm, I've just begun reading a book called The Philosophy of Tolkien by Peter Kreeft. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. what's really interesting about that book is he's really talking about philosophy. <laughs> Different things of the, you know, the first chapter is about metaphysics. And I was like, oh, no. So, He's talking about metaphysics and explaining it and explaining what relationship it has to our life and how we think. And then the examples that he uses, though, are from Tolkien. 
from the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. the Hobbit, to a much lesser degree. It's really the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion. Yeah. And um, mostly Lord of the Rings, though. And so he'll quote examples or he'll talk about, well, because of this, then that. But philosophy is so much softer because it's about ideas that you really can't pin down. Yeah. It's not science. You know, it's not that hard thing. And and that strikes me as we're talking, that's really the best way to look at these. In fact, this movie is a philosophical construct, if you will, <laughs> about hard realism versus softer imagination and fantasy. Yes. I and love you need that. both. I love that. You need yeah. both. And and one of the things that I I just adore about our religion is uh, the that we embrace mystery. Mm-hmm. You know that we understand that we can't understand God. It, it's like anything that we can do to uh, write down what God is, for example, is never going to be enough. It's you know whatever we yeah. can, however we can describe it, is never going to be enough, and that is an ineffable mystery. And we embrace that. And I know that other religions, um, some others, right? They uh, mm-hmm. it, it, to explain every nut and bolt is very important, right? It's like, well, this is how that works. This is how that works. This yeah. is how that works. But we always come up against it. You know, the mystery of the Trinity. You know, the mystery of um, the incarnation. You know, I mean, there's. It's just there are things that we're not going to fully understand, but. Um, require imagination to delve into and um it's a lifetime and you never get to the end of it yeah it's in the acceptance of you say this is how this happened everything else works perfectly with this as part of the understanding of it Mm -hmm. but as you go along you explore more and more and more and more as you're saying yeah. And it becomes richer and wider. And it's it's funny because it has to be partly imaginative, but it's also founded in logic. Absolutely it is. Here's how yeah. these things hold together. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe this isn't the best connection, but while you were talking, I started thinking about the part of the movie where the store uh, doctor gets involved. And this is when <laughs> stores had a doctor. <laughs> For the cat, the staff. I'm yes. sorry, I said cats, uh-huh. but for the staff, and wow. I guess if somebody mm. got hurt at the store, but and so I want that they, job. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so they send Chris off for a psychological examination, and he makes such uh, pointed but interesting observations about the doctor, who is a mess <laughs> and a very small and malicious man. And that the doctor says, even though he didn't, the doctor says he failed his examination, he should be committed, because he doesn't want anybody knowing the stuff that just through a little observation Chris Kringle points out about his nervous habits and biting his nails and twisting his eyebrow and the wife calls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We all get it right away. But what that's doing is skewering psychoanalysis. Yeah. Because right. later, Alfred, the the kid, um, I say kid, the young man, 17-year-old young man who works at the store, is uh, telling about the psychoanalysis that this doctor has been giving him for free after his lunch hours. <laughs> and he's just basically labeled him with every understandable uh, psychosis that the common man would get. You know, he told me I hate my father. 
I always thought I liked my father. You know, I didn't know that. I, you know, and, <laughs> and the reason I like to give out gifts is because something awful happened to me, maybe when I was a baby. So, or I did something awful. Oh, wow. So now I'm trying to make up for it. And it's all the fake facts that people have, because this is a very soft science, right? Yeah. Psychology and counseling and all that. You have to delicately feel your way, I think. Mm-hmm. And based on, things examples and stuff well and your wife is a counselor right Right. Mm yeah so you can't just go in and go okay i have five templates and you fit this one (laughs) exactly you're absolutely right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. but this guy is doing this to this poor kid and Mm -hmm. that's what sends chris over the edge where he's like (laughs) he goes and hits him on the head with his cane (laughs) (laughs) oh man oh my gosh that's what will drive santa claus into a ferocious ferocious rage oh i love it and the most he does is bop him on the head once with his cane Yeah, I liked the bump on the head after yeah. that. That was that was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> oh. But that's the excuse that's used to get him committed and he is disheartened, so he goes ahead and fails his test on purpose because what's the point of Christmas? Yeah. Yeah. And um then uh and that's thinking about himself. Mm-hmm. I failed this and this and this. So there's a human side there to that Santa. Until he's reminded, but what about all the children? Oh, you're right. I can't give up. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Yep. That's right. That's right. And that poor doctor is going to have a tough time anywhere else, you know? Yes, and he's been fired. Right. Mr. Macy didn't like having to be on the stand saying, <laughs> yes, I believe this is Santa Claus. Yeah. Right. Although that in itself showed two interesting shifts, right? The first time he thinks about it, he's looking off, and the little vignettes were being shown are all the people buying things at the store and how much money he's making. And so he can't say no because the parents will all reject him. Mm -hmm. And then the second time, he's got a kind of a smile on his face, and he's thinking real things about Christmas, little children getting presents, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He says, yes, I think he is Santa Claus. (laughs) Then he fires the doctor. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and I liked I liked how the director showed the thought process of Mr. Macy on the stand. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was thinking commercially. You know, quite a bit. You know, just like uh, you know how it would look if he said a, mm-hmm. a certain thing. But then he was moved. He had to say the, the thing. You know, it was really cool how the director did that, is, is what I'm saying. You know, how yeah. he was able to convey that um, in that short little tiny space. Um, just very well done. Well, and it was really wonderful about showing here's all the ways that the adults have to be careful of reacting because they all have children in their lives. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor has a little boy. The judge has grandchildren who won't talk to him because he's put Santa Claus on trial. <laughs> His wife also. And I go, I don't think they're wrong. <laughs> she marches off. I agree with them. Yep. And um, so they're getting in trouble with the wives who are protecting the children's uh, mm-hmm. innocence. And uh, it's it's really kind of nice because it shows the realistic problems, too, of this situation. Yeah, Right. Yeah, it's complicated <laughs> for yeah. for those adults, no right. doubt. And then to have the kid, you know, on the stand, the the prosecutor's son on the stand, that was funny. Um, oh, I know that was. Yeah. 
Why do you believe this? Because my daddy told me so, and he would never tell me anything that isn't so. Isn't that right, daddy? And the father's like, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the sweetest little boy. Gosh, uh, everyone knows it's wrong to tell a lie. <laughs> but I think today, and I don't know about the more modern movie, which I just shudder to think of still, but I'd, I'd be curious to see how the kids are portrayed. A little more independent, a little more free-spirited. I would um, imagine so. I... I if I've seen it, I don't remember it. Richard Attenborough played Chris Kringle. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> no. Nope. Yeah. No one can do it. No that's one can right. be uh, Edmund Gwynn, and that's just. Yeah. You can replace the other people, probably. Although Natalie would, I'd have a hard time thinking of it. But anyway, that's a diversion we don't really need necessarily. But I just feel like. Um, Children may be good and everything, but they're allowed to be a lot more independent, heartfelt, and all that. And I kind of found that really sweet when he's like, gosh, no. <laughs> Everyone knows it's wrong to tell a lie, you know. Yeah, yeah. And even Susan, who'd been trained to be more uh, analytical, was still charmingly sweet. She was much more natural, of course. Right. One of the things I liked, I found this little list. of It covers all the way people's, people respond to believing in Santa. Doris is skepticism and common sense. Susan is rational explanations and intellectual doubt. Alfred is the joy of the season and giving to others. Fred, who's the boyfriend, is faith in the good things and people of life. The store owners are clearly out to make a buck, but at least for this year are joining together to see to the customer's wants. Inspired, of course, by Santa. And by the parents who give immediate feedback, this is what we like. We like to be referred to other people. You're being so good and nice. We're going to shop here. Mm. Yeah. So this also mm. shows an idealism for commercialism. Mm-hmm. Just be honest and tell us you don't have it or tell us this <laughs> one's better. We'll come back and buy the other stuff here. Um, the judge is worried about the upcoming reelection. The post office just wants to get rid of the letters filling up their space. <laughs> And, of course, then there's the psychoanalysis uh, situation, which is taking a swipe at. Yes, yes. You know, because you've done something bad and you want to compensate for that by being good. There's Mm. no such thing in that view as people just naturally being good. Yeah, and all those things. Yeah, and then for me, um, again, this movie is about, um, as far as the commercial thing, is how, how much more important people are than money, just period. You know, yes. so I mean that that's commercial and personal and everything, right. and then making sure that I, I think a lesson of the movie is this imagination thing. You know, I, I really like Susan as a character, and I think that her her logical openness, I guess, is really a great way for a person to be. You know, she yeah. she is logical and maybe skeptical, but she was open. And when presented with Chris Kringle, she was excited by the idea, you know, and was was Mm -hmm. willing to go there. You know what I mean? The door was not all the way closed. (laughs) Right. And she gave him a big test. Mm -hmm. I need this. I want this house. Yeah. I want a home to live in. Right. Um. Yeah. And then she thought she was disappointed. You know, that's that's not unlike prayer, isn't it? It's like, oh, so this didn't work out for me. And then all of a sudden, it did. Well, then, then when her mother says, no, I've discovered I was wrong. You need to have faith and believe. Because the, 
the boyfriend had told her Faith is believing things when common sense tells you not to. Don't you see? It's not just Chris that's on trial. It's everything he stands for. It's kindness and joy and love and all the other intangibles. Mm, And so when her mother tells her essentially that, then she's kind of in the corner. I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. (laughs) And so, of course, she doesn't, but she's willing to stick to leaving the door open a little. Yeah. Like you're saying. Yeah. And she believes in the ideals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. And then that, that just, you know, that again, this movie just makes me feel good. It's, <laughs> it's good. I like it. I, I Christmas is good. I just put in a plug for my favorite. Um, this would be so incorrect now, but I love this funny scene where the store manager, Mr. Shellhammer Gets his wife drunk so she'll be receptive to having Chris Kringle live with them. (laughs) And he said, I made the martinis triple strength. And if you count the toothpicks on the table, which someone did in a review, they said she must have had about nine of those martinis. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. And and I love the way they show her being drunk she's slurring and she's mm-hmm. very happy and but what they're doing is she's not staggering around or throwing up or doing anything like that she's just holding the phone upside down <laughs> and so he because oh no dear and she's oh you're right i'm so silly and she puts it in her other hand still upside <laughs> down <laughs> to try to talk you know oh yeah um so it doesn't make her mean or combative or anything it just makes her goofy mm-hmm and um, I know these days you'd immediately have some hardcore people going, whoa, what a way to treat someone. But it's just <laughs> a light, amusing touch mm-hmm. in the whole thing. Sure. And when he says, I'm willing to let my wife have a very bad headache tomorrow, <laughs> and you could just sacrifice <laughs> your room for one night. Oh, you know, my Or gosh. having him over for dinner for one night while I talk her into this. <laughs> That's too funny. So, yeah, I love it. I anyway. love it. So yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Good old Natalie Wood. Mm-hmm. I think she's what I'll remember this time. Because I actually, as I was watching it, I said, she looks so familiar to me. And then when I looked up who it was, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Natalie Wood. I don't know if I've seen her in mm-hmm. other things. Yeah. She's been in a few other things. And, oh, and then yeah. she had she that tragic, a, uh, tragic right. death, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, she was very famous. Mm-hmm. I mean, and known as being a really good actress. But I was just trying to think. I don't know yeah, what I, I've seen her in. Let's see. Other than this. Mm-hmm. All the old oh, stuff. Oh, West Side Story. Yeah. Um, and I've heard of Splendor in the Grass, but never seen it. Mm-hmm. Brainstorm was maybe where I first, you know, and that was actually her last movie. I remember seeing Brainstorm in the 80s. It was a mm. science fiction movie. Um. But wow, she had quite a career. My goodness. So she was in a lot of stuff as a very young person. Mm-hmm. In fact, her first movie was four years before this. Wow. <laughs> the Moon is Down. I think which I think that's a uh, uh, Steinbeck. It says uncredited. So oh, okay. maybe she was like a baby or something or a very tiny person. <sighs> Well, also, speaking of actresses, um, Thelma Ritter, this was her first movie role. Mm-hmm. She's the mother. Oh. It says, they ain't got fire engines anywhere. I've been looking. <laughs> yeah. And she's so unmistakable. And, of course, we in the most, the movie I can think of that 
I love her in most is um, Rear Window, which we talked oh, about. yes. Uh-huh. Where she's the nurse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the director is George Seaton. And I uh, just kind of poked around his, uh, the other things that he's done. He was very active as well. 23 movies. Yeah. Um, the, the, one of the last ones he did was Airport. Oh. Do you remember those? I do. We, yeah. we actually went and saw those at the movie. Yes. Or at least the first one. Uh-huh. Very good. Very good. Yeah. But, yeah. Miracle okay, on 34th well, Street, I would say, is his most famous one, looking at the yes. list. But, um, well, I haven't looked at the list, but it's my tops movie from him. I'll mm-hmm. just say it now. Because <laughs> sure. it's just a gem. It sure is, yeah. It has Definitely all the old stuff, like the scenes behind the scene and the post office and all that really old-fashioned stuff like that. <laughs> and then it has such a modern, snappy attitude towards how do you live and the mm-hmm. debate on what what ideals do you use to run your life with. Mm-hmm. And those debates, of course, are still going on today. You know, we think they're brand new, but we can see they're evergreen <laughs> based <laughs> on this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you like this? He wrote the song of Bernadette. The director? It, no, the yeah, George Seaton, the director, he wrote the screenplay oh. for the song oh. of Bernadette, which was directed by Henry King. Interesting. I never saw Very that movie. I've heard of it, yeah, of course. I've heard of it time. too. Yeah. Uh nineteen forty three. Mm-hmm. So That's how you gotta start, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. Anyway. But very good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's, I think, a wrap for our 11th year. <laughs> I think we've wandered and trivia and everything. It. You bet. But this is such a great Christmas movie. And if you haven't seen it for a while, definitely pull it out and watch definitely it Definitely go give it a watch. Yeah, you bet. So it's much lighter and more fun than um, It's a Wonderful Life, which is a fantastic movie, but it's much more noir style. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got some definite grim stuff in there however lightly it's touched on. And um, this, though, is just, it's, you know, can this little girl and her mother learn to believe again? Mm. Yeah. And yes, they can. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we can. I love it. I love it. We love you, Chris Kringle. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Okay. What's next for us is our 12th year of good stories hard to find. (laughs) That's crazy. I love it. Yeah. It Mm -hmm. is wild. If you check the sidebar of the blog, you'll find out Scott and I got really um, imaginative ourselves, and we imagined (laughs) ourselves right into what we could not stand to uh, miss. And so almost every slot for next year is already full. Yeah, I left a couple open in different spots because I wanted to leave room in case something new came up and grabbed me, like this Mm -hmm. year a gentleman in Moscow and the Murderbot series came up. Right. So um, I, I've had several things where I've gone, oh, we should talk about that. But I'm like, no, <laughs> no, leave them open, which is difficult. <laughs> but there's some it. really fun stuff I can't wait for uh, next year. Yes. It's been fun putting it together. So, yeah. uh, And I look forward to the open slots, too. Whenever, mm. whenever you're inspired to fill them, it's going to be fun. We'll see. So, yeah, we'll you see. bet. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, thanks so much for uh, being my partner on this podcast. It's been so much fun. Yes. (laughs) I feel the same way. Yes, it's so worthwhile. It's just And it's still fun. fun. It's way fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so for people that want to get a head start on next year, uh, we'll be back um, 
That episode should post around January 11th, we figure. And uh, we have a guest, uh, Tom Tedesco. And uh, we're going to talk about the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Tom, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. And talking about you, you mentioned Peter Kreeft earlier, to, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. I grabbed that book that you told me to grab, and I just started it last night. So, The Three Philosophies of Life is what it's yeah, called. It yeah. is a fantastic com- accompaniment. It's kind of, in, in a sense, it's kind of like this movie mm-hmm. where you've got the one side that's like, what does anything matter? You know, there is no such thing as imagination, blah, blah, blah. That's kind of Ecclesiastes. But then you have Peter Crave's book, which puts it in an interesting perspective, I think. And that's mm-hmm. that's just, I've been waiting to read that book for a long time. So I read it. Excellent. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Nice reason to do it. You bet. Yeah. And Tom is uh, Tom L.A. Books on YouTube. And he is currently going through... Um, Dante's Divine Comedy, One Canto at a Time. And it is great. He's, he's just doing such a great job. So I urge you to take a look at that. I'll leave a link in the, in the post. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but Tom will be our guest first episode of the year. All right. Yep. Okay. So I guess that's a wrap for this year. I guess that's it. Yep. That's it. Unless we have an emergency podcast. I mean, who knows? <laughs> What could happen? We, we I doubt it. But we it might have happen, an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So otherwise, we're going to be making merry with our families, that's and I right. hope you are too. I hope everybody has a good end to Advent mm-hmm. and a wonderful Christmas. Me too. Yep. And we'll Enjoy see you everyone. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll take Merry care Christmas. All. Merry Christmas. Yep. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.